You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Tom Ryan. Tom is a former All-American college wrestler and now coach of the Ohio State Wrestling Team. During his collegiate wrestling career, he was a member of the University of Iowa 1991 and 1992 NCAA and Big Ten Championship teams. He became a head wrestling coach at Hofstra University in New York in 1995, leading them to six consecutive conference titles from 2001 to 2006. He then moved to Ohio State to coach and in 2015 led the wrestling program to the NCAA National Championship. He has won multiple Coach of the Year awards and at present is the owner of a 76% match winning ratio. From the highs of winning championships and coaching Olympic gold medalists to the unimaginable loss of his own child, Tom Ryan is a coach with a deep appreciation for the pain that can either derail or elevate your life. His coaching philosophy is infused with a focus on truth and love. Truth to help you see the areas where you can develop and love so you have the confidence that you will be supported as you develop and grow. I chased Tom for six months to get this interview I'm so glad that I did. His lessons on leadership and life 
but truly universal. And some of the key ones for me were his view that the coach's role is to reduce stress through controlling their emotions. And this reduces tension in the athlete and allows them to focus on the task at hand. Giving feedback the moment a skill is not being executed properly in a way that is productive and how great athletes truly assess themselves in a way that allows an accurate development plan to be put in place. The great story he shares about the prisoner of war, James Stockdale, and the importance of combining optimism with realism and wanting to leave a legacy of helping people to learn to love deeply and with a few Olympic and world championships as well along the way. This was an inspiring conversation with a truly great human being and coach, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Coach Ryan, good afternoon, and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. Great to be with you. Could I start with a really simple question? Where are you in the world today, and what have you been up to? Well, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, coaching at Ohio State University. A dream job for me around just some amazing people. We're in the midst of our college wrestling season. That'll end in a, in a few weeks. It was a shortened season by COVID, but life's good. I have been looking forward to this interview for a long time. I, as we were saying just before we went on, I've been chasing you mercilessly. So very, thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, Paul, like I said before, I mean, you would be a dog and a bone on a wrestling mat. I mean, you would just be all over your opponent's legs, attacking left and right. I love it. I'm not going to edit that. Either. Initiative matters. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And hopefully we'll get into initiative as we go along. But sure. I, I wanted to start actually just by winding the clock back because when I was researching for today, I was amazed at actually the, the legendary coaches that you've had experience to. There's, of course, oh. Dan Gable, but there's also Terry Brands and Steve Fraser. And so a simple question maybe to kick us off. What do you think the great coaches do differently? Oh, I have been blessed, incredibly blessed with the men I've been around in the sport. I've taken, I think, something from each of them, and they've given me so much. Obviously, you mentioned Coach Gable, Steve Frazier, Chris Campbell, Tom Brands, Terry Brands, Lincoln Macri, Jim Zaleski. I mean, the list is endless. My life has crossed paths with, with a lot of wrestling legends in the sport and great men, Lenny Zaleski, and just a lot of men I stay in touch with to this day. I would say one of the things I learned from Coach Gable, and to me, he really moved me as a competitor from one place to another. And uh, deep trust was something that I think is critically important in leadership. And Coach Gable had that trust. And when we have deep trust, progress escalates, right? And then it becomes a vicious cycle of, I trusted, I have progress. Because I have progress, I'm trusting more. And I trust more and I have more progress. And the relationship between trust and progress is undeniable. Coach Gable taught me, I think, you know, I wrote a book called Chosen Suffering, Coach Gable taught me how to suffer at a level that I could not have gotten from myself. Coach Gable taught me the power of just the deep benefit of being in a community of people that are like-minded and have a deep love for what they do. Coach Gable taught me the power of the tongue and it from the standpoint that, I mean, all these things are in scripture. And I have a strong faith, stronger your faith faith gets and the more you experience human beings in life and the way they do things, the more you can find truth of that in scripture. But but Coach Gable was a very uh, positive, real leader. He he never used his tongue to whip you. And that's not in 
easy thing to not do when you're emotional or when things aren't going that well. Now, fortunately for Coach Gable, when I was on the team, things were going really well, right? So there wasn't a lot of heartache in our performances. I would say those are some of the things that leaders have. I think there's three distinct categories where I think of great leaders. The first is their examples, right? I mean, most of the people that I look back in my life and I, I have followed, it's like they were leading by their actions more than their words. And I think they're all great examples. And Coach Gable and among many other coaches I've had were great, just, just great examples of how to live. Uh, they also embrace pain and suffering. I think all leaders embrace pain and suffering. They're willing to deal with the tough things and have it, you know, not about finding the easy way, but they just, they just embrace the tough aspects of their role. And then the third thing that I know that they do is they, they share truth and love and truth and love, right? Every conversation is a combination of that, that we have every interaction with another human being. It's like, I want to share a truth, but I want to share it in a way that you can, you can absorb it and it sinks in. And sometimes truth without love and we're turned off and, and we, it's abrasive. And sometimes too much love is viewed as you're appeasing me. Give me some truth. So this perfect combination is, is such a challenge for us. And I think it's something that he was really just really good at, which makes him more trustworthy, more believable. And then you, you have progress. So then it's just a vicious cycle. But I'd say those are probably some of the things I've learned from some coaches along the way. It's a great answer, Tom. Thank you for sharing it. And I would like to talk a little bit later on if we could about suffering but I'd like to just take you there through your career a little bit if we could because you know right now you're at Ohio and if my numbers are correct it's a just a lazy 76 percent win ratio I don't know if that's dipped up or down this year but I'm sure it's still pretty good. yeah and you know the images I watch of you you're just so calm when I see you beside the mat you're very calm you're very measured there's no sense of urgency or panic and, and it got me thinking, actually, what, what are the many facets of being a college wrestling coach? I think our, one of our roles as coaches is to reduce stress, right? Competition is a tremendous stress enhancer, just in general, right? A lot of young people pour their lives, right, into competing. And, and one of the things that we try to do as a, as a staff and some of the elite leaders I've been around is they're stress decreasers. So, and even as a competitor, one of the traits of the elite I've coached or been coached by is tremendous emotional control. I mean, having emotional control is something that time and time again, we coached a four-time NCAA champion named Logan Stever. And in the midst of his toughest matches, his most intense opponents, there was a sense of calm about him. He was up by one late in the match. He's down by two. It was a calming sense about him. And I think that body language, right, is one that's readable, right, is very readable by your student athlete. And I think they can sense tension, right? And if the coach is tense, he must be tense for a reason. Maybe this is a, he's making more of this than I am. And then it causes the student athlete to be tense. And there are times when I do get up from the corner and I'll be animated, typically at officials. But in general, we talk a lot to our team about body language, right? I think all of us that have watched competition through the years, there's something about a competitor who shows composure through just as a calm, whether it's right, the quarterback or the, whomever, any elite athlete, for the most part, very rarely do you see them act out in a way that speaks to a lack of emotional control. So we do our best to try to control that. When you're leading that organization, is it something you can teach or is it more about your actions and behaviors as a leader that set the standard? 
I think human beings love feedback. I think feedback is just really important for us. And, and I, all right, there are times when we don't give feedback, right? The mind can wander to what, what is my coach thinking, right? So as a, as a staff, we try to give feedback often, right? So right in learning a skill, right? In practice and learning a skill, the moment that we recognize this skill is not done properly, right? You have to intercede in a way that's productive and not what in God's name are you doing? But hey, listen, you're, you're, let's, let's talk about this position. Your head is a little high. You're turned to the side. Your hand is out of position. So feedback and being able to communicate that instantly is, you know, is an incredibly important, you know, productive tool in learning. Because I do think, I know that people love feedback. Now in a sport like wrestling, typically, if you're self-aware, which is critically important, right? In any venture, you are getting instant feedback, right? So wrestling gives us instant feedback. If I wrestled Paul right now, right? If you and I wrestled and I shot on your right leg and every time I got in, you found a way to get out and score on me. If I'm a self-aware, I could assess that Paul's defense on his right side is better than my offense. So now I need to do something about it. I need to put a plan in place and then and then action toward that plan. If I wrestled Paul for an hour and 40 minutes into the workout, I was exhausted and your energy level stayed high. I could assess that Paul is more fit than me, or perhaps Paul rested better than me the night before, or perhaps Paul was more nutritionally sound than me. But I think, which, which gets to just young people and competitors, the great ones, one, love assessment, but two, they live in reality, right? They live in there. They're willing to honestly and truthfully assess themselves in a way that allows an accurate plan to be put in place and assessed. And I can tell you, a lot of people don't live in reality. They don't. They live in a fantasy world. They allow excuses to become the norm. And that only delays progress. So I'd like to pick up on this theme of self-awareness and assessment, actually, in relation to your career, because you transitioned into coaching very quickly. You're an assistant at Indiana. You go to Hofstra. And then from 2000, you just go on this incredible run, six consecutive conference titles, a 47-match unbeaten streak in dual action, and at the time that was the nation's longest. When you think back to the start in 2000, what is it you put in place that drove that result? So I got the job at Hofstra in 96. So I think, I think, you know, I think patience obviously is really important, that anything worth having typically is going to take some time. There's an infrastructure that has to be in place and although it's very frustrating when you're used to winning and developing, when it's not happening quickly, right? You got to refer back to just some of the principles and the reality that things worth having might take longer than we want them to. But motivation, deep love are non-negotiables for progress, right? And I deeply love this sport. I love people that long to move themselves outside their comfort zone. I love risk takers, intelligent risk takers, not ridiculous. Like I would never jump out of an airplane. I have lots of friends that do, but you couldn't get me to do that. So I'm not talking about reckless risk. I'm talking about wise, intelligent risk taking. And then just people, right? This is a, this is a, a life about people, right? I can reflect back on a lot of things. And I had a great work ethic I, 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 because I love what I was doing, right? So, so it's a lot easier to work really hard toward the things that we find great value in and the things that we don't. I found great value in wrestling early on in my life. And when I reflect on all these intangibles, right, the, probably the single most valuable intangible are people. It's the greatest resource to us. And 
more and more people were believing in what we were building at Hofstra. So as more and more people believe, you start to bring in another level of talent and a level of individual that deeply loves what they're doing the way you deeply love what you're doing. And when you get a lot of people around that love what they do, it's amazing how many solutions to issues are found. And when you're around people that don't deeply love it, it's amazing how many excuses are found for why something can't happen. And I like young people that it's always their fault. It's always their fault. It's never, right? We want to create an environment where it is never the coach's fault. I want to create an environment where it's always the coach's fault. It's always my fault. I want the student athlete to believe it's always their fault. So that started to happen at, at Hofstra. And then thank God for the many supportive alumni and friends and donors there and elite wrestlers and fan base. And because of those people, right, they opened the door to a dream job for me to coach at Ohio State University. So you got to Ohio, 2006, program wasn't in great shape. So you start rebuilding it. It's a tough Big Ten you've got out there. What were the first things you did to set up that culture? I would so, so the first thing that we did was I made sure that I surrounded myself with the best staff and the best people. You know, not necessarily all of them were great wrestlers, but, but I was looking for like men of character, right? Men who through the years, I knew their work ethic, right? And the type of people they are. So that was the first thing was to build a staff that young prospects believed would take them from point A to point B, right? And then there's an assessment of the program, an assessment of the student athletes in the program. There's building relationships with alumni and donors because as much as we're supported at Ohio State, you need the support of the community. I set up a tour of the state. I was an out-of-state person. So, right, you reflect on what are the things that people that are important to you will assess as negatives in the hire, right? So it's like a SWOT analysis. It's like, okay, what things might they view about this hire that would not bring them to full trust? So I wanted to, right, I extended my hand. I set up different locations around the state. And we went as a staff around the state and met the coaches and the people of the state from the sense that we're serving you, right? You're not serving us here. We're, we're serving you, right? So the extended hand. I think those are some of the things. And of course, assessing the state of our scholarships because, right, recruiting good people is a lifeline of any organization. I don't care how well you coach. If you don't have people that love it the way you do, you're going to struggle. So I say those are some of the things that, that me and my staff did when we hired here in 06. And then eventually, in 2015, the NCA yeah, championship took a, long, <laughs> took a while. Took a long time, Paul. There was Very multiple years of, of runners-up too. But yeah, you say it's disappointing, but it was a great journey and you could see the team building every year. Coach Ryan, are there any values or behaviours that are just fundamental to you and that program that have delivered that success? Absolutely. We thought we had it one, right, year three. But God just said, hold on, buddy. This ain't going to happen yet. But we were like, it was over. You know, Friday night, people were congratulating me. And then the team that ended up winning uh, grabbed a couple of forfeits and, and just had some really good fortune that typically doesn't happen in an event. And uh, they won a couple of tight matches and it just wasn't meant to be. But traits, so I guess we're talking about, right, traits that lead to sustained success. At Ohio State, you know, I wasn't after, nor was the athletic director. And which, by the way, working closely with the people above you is critically important. As a gladiator, we tend to be like bulls in a china shop, 
And that's an ineffective way to go about things. You got to make sure that the people above you understand your thinking, what you're doing. We always send out to our administration a, a report, kind of a state of the union. They know what we're thinking. They're never questioning, wondering what we are thinking. And I have to have a great boss who, who deeply loves the sport as well. So that's really nice. And I do believe it's hard to climb higher than anybody above you wants to. You know, it's not an easy thing to do. You need to support the people above you. But traits that we, in general, are non-negotiable traits, right? These are just non-negotiable that through time I've seen develop. So initiative, right? Like your podcast right now. I mean, if you didn't have initiative, this is like you're talking to Tiger Woods right now. And the world's going to be all geeked up that, you know, Paul got Tiger Woods on. But your initiative like just speaks to me. I don't know you very well, right? But I know that you're passionate about what you're doing because you relentlessly, in a very healthy, professional way, pursue this conversation. So I need people that that take initiative, right? A sitting around wondering what's going to happen next and hoping that someone solves your problem is a formula for a really difficult life more difficult life that needs to be so so initiative is critically important i talked about i talked about emotional control critically important obviously character is incredibly important high character aggression which is kind of like initiative but 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 aggression is incredibly important a high like eq just knowing who you are being centered is really important intelligence is important so, so sport, you know, just a sport awareness, intelligence, you may not be Musk, right? You may not have the intelligence to send a, a, a rocket ship to space, but enough in your area. I think those are just some of the ones that come to mind for me right now, for people that have success over the long haul, obviously a deep longing and love of hard work, right? Hard work cures a lot of a lot of things and this tireless work ethic. And typically, at least in my experience, I said this earlier, that falls in line with the things that we love the most. So, you know, I may not love my job, but I love my kids and I love my family. I do love my job, but not, not, not everyone does, right? But, but we work tirelessly at it because it provides our family, the ones we love with a better opportunity in this world, right? So it is certainly nice when you wake up in the morning and you drive as fast as you can safely to get to work and do what you love. But not every human being gets to experience that. But typically, their success is tied to something they do love. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. 
like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You've been very vocal, actually, in your belief that community service is necessary if you're going to create athletes that are, in your words, life champions. What is it about community service that you think is so important? I think a priceless gift is to meet others in the place they are, right? And I think community service is all about that. It's about giving, building relationships, and working hard to understand where somebody is and help them in some way get through that. But my team, we track, and so does our administration, right? We track the amount of hours that each student athlete gives because giving is so incredibly important. How much they give to the community we require them to be involved. We're involved with the, the hospitals and churches. We're involved with uh, autism events. We're involved with Olympic program. We're involved in uh, literacy. Second and seven foundation is just uh, we go to schools and read the little kids. And I think, you know, it's interesting with community service that often you know, as much as these guys know it's beneficial, it's also time out of their day, which they value so much. Right. So they got to drive to a middle school you know, read for 30 minutes, drive home, and it interrupted some things. And initially it's like, man, these coaches are annoying, making me do this stuff. But the beauty in, in giving is on the way home, they're like, wow, the gift often isn't realized until you're on the back end of it. It's like, wow, that was really good. These little kids were so interested in my life and asking me questions. And you have this, this elevated sense of, I made a difference. So typically once they experience that, it's a lot easier to sell them the next time to get out there and make a difference. So Tom, I came across your name actually through the book you mentioned at the top of the interview, mm. Chosen Suffering, and you suffered a, an unimaginable loss for many of us with the passing of, of your five-year-old son, Teague. You've written and spoken about it a lot and you've said that it made you a better coach. And I, if it's not too personal, I'd like to ask why. So the book was called Chosen Suffering, and obviously this isn't about the book. It's about my journey, right? Every human being has a journey. I was by, by several people that had heard me speak about my five-year-old son, Teague, who died of a massive heart attack at the dinner table. There were no warning signs, right? This wasn't a case of a tumor on his brain that we knew was there, and he was told he had six months to live, and, and I have friends that have experienced that, right? The heartache of that. This was just from laughing to unconscious in a matter of well, instantaneously, we were laughing, telling stories about the day was President's Day, February 16, 2004. He was healthy, just had a physical. He was a wrestler. He could do 10 pull-ups. I mean, there was nothing about him that wasn't on, that was not healthy that we could see. So I think, well, I don't think this. I know this, that pain causes one of two things in us, right? It caused us to run and hide and pretend that the pain's not real. Right. And sometimes that's pills. Sometimes that's alcohol. Sometimes it's drugs. Sometimes it's a lack of communication. All of those things uh, will take us to a place far worse than we were currently in. Right. So pain does that. Pain also can cause us to grow and think and assess 
And for me, right, I've experienced pain as a wrestler, right? I think anyone that works out at any level at all understands chosen suffering. And the book is basically about the two sufferings, chosen and unchosen, right? Chosen makes sense to us. I caused it, good or bad. I caused it. I chose to not come home at night as a father. And a year later, my kids are not very interested in me and having a relationship with me, right? I chose to train three times a day. And three years later, I'm now one of the elite athletes in my field, right? I'm not saying me, I'm saying in general, right? Whoever this may be, right? Chosen suffering is real. We choose the hard way and typically it's going to benefit us. And that's a chosen suffering. That's a beneficial chosen suffering, right? The more, the more we find we move away from comfort, the better chance we have of growing. And then there is this unchosen suffering that I learned about as a 36-year-old man, and that was the passing of my son, Teague. And that pain was far greater than any 15-mile run I ever went on, right? Far greater than any loss I'd experienced as a competitor. It was, re- it was, it was so refining in my life. It caused me to do something that nothing else had been able to do. And that's simply, right, to dig in deeply and consider the single most important question that every man and woman faces on this planet, right? I had thought deeply about what university I was going to attend, what sport, right, I was going to pour my life into, what friendships I was going to have, what sneakers I was going to buy, what car I was going to buy, what town I was going to live in, how many children I would have, right? There were a lot of things that I contemplated and made decisions on that were really important decisions. But the crazy thing for me as a 36-year-old man leading people was I never gave much time or energy into how I got to earth. My why, why am I here? How did I get here? Where is Teague? And there's basically, right, for me, I lined the page, left side of the page, God, right side of the page, no God. And I dug into both and I researched both and I kept an open mind and I didn't believe because I was told to believe or because I was so weak that I needed this savior to lean on. That's not what it was. Ultimately, I found facts that led me to believe that. And I think that changed me more than anything. That's where the real transformation came in. And that's simply that human beings are not here by accident. Human beings, to me, I'm not trying to impose my theological life on anybody. I don't have to. I think any human being that's, that quiets the world and looks deeply into, allows their mind to openly research, I think they'll find the same thing that I did. And that's chance. The fact that a human being could come from nothing, start from nothing, that everything we have came from nothing. And then you have this beautiful creature called human. It just didn't add up to me. There's a lot more facts that I could share for hours on why I chose to believe that, but it really moved me as a coach and a leader. And I just see people now as the end result of a loving God. It's a great so, story. Thank you for sharing it, Tom. It's unimaginable, but it's it's also good to see how it's empowered you and allowed you to influence other people's lives for the better. There's another great quote from you, actually, and I don't mean to litter this whole interview with quotes. But there is a good <laughs> one. It, struck, it, it jumped out at me, actually, because you say that, Winning is not as important as the energy that should be spent on the things that can be controlled. Effort, temper, preparation, mindset, and attitude. So it led me to want to ask, is there a coaching example where you've been able to lift an individual or a team's performance 
by helping them move away from focusing on winning and onto those other elements that you flagged as being more important? I would say that you mentioned this earlier, our, our team has been NCAA, which in America, our collegiate system, there's a pro, you have the pro league and the college college sports. There are, there are hundreds of universities that compete. There are hundreds of thousands of Americans that you know love sport. One of the top, well, the second best wrestling program in America over the last 10 years. And I would say that part of the reason why is the philosophy. So I don't think there's any one example, right? We had a, in 2016, Kyle Snyder won an Olympic gold medal as a junior in college, right? Kyle was a, a young, he's the youngest American to ever win an Olympic gold medal. And he was in studying at the Ohio State University when he did that. He also won two world titles, right, in college. And I think that there are a lot of reasons why he won, right? Clearly, there's something unique about him in the way he views the sport. But one of the places he really grew was, you know, his motto became don't protect anything, right? That was his mantra. And we are firm believers in mantras because the brain can only handle a few digits, right, at a time, right? So to simplify, when things are spiraling, you just go back to a mantra that settles your brain and brings you back to a place of total focus. So Kyle is a good example of someone, also Logan Stieber, right? There's been four men in the history of college wrestling to win four national titles. Logan did that in 2015. You know, I say there's more men have been on the moon that have right won four national championships, right? And a lot of it stems from the conversation, the words we use, the culture. Listen, everybody wants to win. You go in a classroom of second graders and you you ask them to raise your hand, who likes to win, right? Everyone, everyone raises their hand, right? And winning is something that ultimately we don't have direct control of. And we try to focus on things that we can control. And winning is not one of them, but to your point, effort is one of them. Body language is one of them, right? Your workload is one of them. So we really just try to build an infrastructure around people that cause less stress and focus on the things that they can control in their life. And winning is not one of them. What about So resilience? it's all around. So it's engulfed, right? The culture is just engulfed in it. And typically, listen, it's not like we won't bring up topics that speak to where our program is versus another, right? It's not like it's not discussed. Love is the ultimate motivator, right? Like nothing is more powerful than love, right? Ultimately, if we can create a world, an environment, an organization where there's deep love, that organization will have the likelihood of sustained success in it is far greater than an organization that's founded in fear. Now, fear is a motivator, right? My dad motivated me with fear. I'm not saying it's, right? So fear, absolutely. There are moments when you use, right, you use the rod, right, to inspire. But long term, that will not work nearly as well as love. There's so many rich points in your story. The thing that resonates me the most is this whole idea of suffering being a basis for self-improvement and development. And you have to embrace it to move forward. And building resilience is such a topic at the minute, Tom. It's, it's, it's across society. We're all trying to get better at it. You took a group of people that are not connected to wrestling. They're not even athletes. And you were charged with helping them build resilience. What are some of the things you would do or some of the tips you would give them? Yeah. So I guess the first thing, I would work on preloading their mind into how difficult growth can be, right? To expect it to be hard. You know, I think for me, 
when I first realized how hard it was going to be to be the best wrestler in the country, it actually got a little easier, if that makes any sense. It's like, like if you go into marriage <laughs> thinking this is going to be easy, you're in big trouble, right? So it's like preloading. This is going to, right? Marriage is God's ultimate test of unity. It's an ultimate test of teamwork, right? You're going to be on the team, whether they agree with you or not in many situations and you you're staying on the team. So the first thing I think is just developing a mindset, right? Getting the mind ready for what it's about to move toward. And then I would set up right a series of challenging scenarios that they succeeded at, right? So it's the whole theory of right 1% better. They would be challenging but they would prevail. Is because prevailing is important. I mean, very rarely and there are beautiful stories when they happen. Does somebody in the world of wrestling start out 0-20 and go on to win a national title? And often it's because they're dissuaded by their lack of success. And success gives us something to hold on to. Do you play, do you golf? Do you like to swing? Yeah, me neither. Me neither. But when I do, and I never do, but rarely, it's like it's the one good hit that brings me back, right? It's that one thing I can hold on to that was like, hey, that was that was good. So Right. So we want to create an environment that was challenging, but there was growth. There would be right a ton of communication, right? So building people, a ton of communication. I'll share, even with my story with losing my son, right? My brain imagined it went to the worst case scenario, right? Like the worst case scenario is always a good baseline for us to live by, right? So it's like, it creates, it creates something. It's like, okay, this is bad right now but it could get worse, right? If I choose this way, right? So let's say that Tom Ryan chose to not deal with the pain he was experiencing. He's got three children and this happens often, right? A lot of times, right? Marriages break up in big losses when there's heartache. Children are unfathered, unmothered because of the deep, deep despair that that family is in. So my wife and I, with help, right? We uncovered, right? Just how bad this could get. So then you have, you have a picture of both scenarios. Well, if we come together and we unify, these three remaining children have a, on earth have a chance to grow and live their best life. We have a chance to make it together, right? If we choose option B, our marriage will break up. And we're talking about potentially years and years and, and gener- what's about generational problems, right? We're talking about generational issues. My sons go unfather. They're likely to unfather their children and then their children. Right? We're talking about a scenario that, that echoes right through time. So in communication with growing, moving forward, it's like, sure. It's like the, it's like the Stockdale paradox, right? Stockdale was, was the POW that made it out, right? His story is incredible. And this guy, when they interviewed him, when he came back, right, they interviewed Stockdale. He said, what was it that made you get through that others didn't? as a prisoner of war. And he said, the ones that don't make it do not live in the perfect combination of realism and optimism. There's an intertwining of optimism and realism, right? They didn't make it. They were overly optimistic. Every single holiday they thought would be the last one spent as a POW and they were going to get out Thanksgiving, Easter, you know, Christmas. They were going to get out. They never got out, right? They ultimately died of a broken heart. And Stockdale, his mind stayed in reality. I believe I'll get out. I don't know when, right? Realism and optimism. I'm going to get out. I just don't know when. I'm not going to put the date on it. It's like living in COVID, right? It's going to come an end, to an end. 
but don't put a date on it, April 1, because April 1 comes and goes and you're still in it. You're like heartbroken. And then May comes and June and July. Listen, it's, we're going to get through it. I'm going to live my best life now. And when we get through it, we're through it. And the power of that. So I think in developing a team, you've just got to talk about and growing people, just being real. Katron, Tom, it's an amazing story. Um, just one last question, if I could. What's the legacy that you think you've left so far as a coach? I know you have many years ahead, but what's behind you so far? I think we I have what's called an opus, and the S is a significance. It's basically your scorecard of significance, right? Because we all have one. You know, do I want to remember as the guy that, you know, coached Olympic champion and world champions? And sure, there's a part of me that cares about that a lot, right? There's a part of me that cares about how many national titles my team wins, right? But ultimately, right, the thing that moves me the most are the number of people in my life that, that have, have, have learned to love deeper. They've simply learned to love deeper. I'm an officiant. I've married quite a few of my student athletes, right? I'm involved in their, in their lives. And I think ultimately, uh, the number of people that leave the program and are refined by the incredible power of deep love, I would say that's probably the single most important thing that I want to impart on my student athletes. Deep love. Can I challenge you on that for a second? Yeah, yeah. I think listening to your story, the lesson that you leave very strongly is one around suffering is going to make you stronger if you embrace it. And resilience is going to be with you for your whole life if you don't shy away from it. Good. It's true. Those are absolutes. Tom Ryan, I am so glad that I chased you for this interview. It's been an absolute pleasure, an honour actually, listening to you speak. All the best for the season ahead. And I look forward to uh, looking on from afar as that team pulls its way back to its next NCAA championship. Thanks, Paul. And when you and those amazing daughters you have get a chance to come to the States, come catch a, come catch a Buckeye football game and a, and a wrestling match. I am going to hold you to Look that. me up. I am Bye. a huge football fan and I would love my daughters to meet you. I think it would be absolutely wonderful. I'd- yeah, well, there's nothing like a Buckeye game, so we'll get you out. So thank you so much. Thanks again, Paul. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here, and you have been listening to the great coach, Tom Ryan. Some of the key points for me were how pain can cause us to hide or grow, and when we choose the hard path to choose pain, we will grow and develop in a way that provides long-term benefits. How love is the ultimate motivator and how organisations with deep love have a higher likelihood of sustained success. And that the great coaches exhibit deep trust, which encourages the athlete to develop and then because they develop, they trust more. And how every conversation with a great coach is a combination of truth and love. Because of this, their advice is able to be absorbed by the athlete. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with the great coach that you know has lessons to share on leadership and life, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Market.